Welcome to Connectify Conversations. My name is Devin Simonson, and I'm the CMO at Connectify. Our mission is to share the experience, expertise, and insights from gaming industry leaders that comes from years navigating the complexities and impact of compliance. On this episode, my name is Jordan Levin. I'm the chief exec at OpenBet. And the business development director at Connectify. My name is Sean Topchi. Thanks for joining us today. And remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. You can also learn more anytime at connectify.com. That's K-I-N-E-C-T-I-F-Y.com. Hey guys, what's going on? Doing well, doing well. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, thanks, Devin, and and thanks uh, for having me on. I'm really excited to uh, be here today and uh, and support this series. I think it's great. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you, Jordan, for the first time in person, actually, at uh, the most recent conference at G2E, which I think was an amazing conference, and wanted to get you on the cast. And so we're really happy to have you here and to kind of dive into not just you and, and your background and, and kind of what, what brought you here, but also things around OpenBit and, and what OpenBit is doing here in the industry. And so we're really excited to kind of peel back the uh, the onion there and, and, and get some insights. And so uh, we wanted to start off with, how did you get involved in the industry and how did you get to become the CEO of OpenBit? Uh, I mean, my my story of getting into the, the industry is um, somewhat dramatic. Started my career off um, in corporate finance and um, investment banking. And uh, was looking to sort of get some experience working in a uh, in a company in a in a corporate environment, um, just to get that under my belt for a couple of years. Um, and my assumption was I would do something for a couple of years at really any corporate environment, whether it was tech or um, manufacturing or healthcare or in this case gaming. And um, just started networking and happened to know someone who knew someone that was working at this. Um, sort of weird slots uh, manufacturer called WMS Gaming. And this is in 2006, by the way. And uh, I didn't even know that um, there was a slots uh, design and manufacturing company in Chicago, uh, which is where I was based at the time and I'm actually based now again. And uh, just sort of looked interesting. So I said, great, I'll do that for a couple of years, um, check it out, and then go back to sort of where I belong in the sort of high finance and maybe look at venture capital or private equity um, and uh, move my career forward. And uh, here I am uh, almost 17 years later, <laughs> still in the industry. So that's, that's sort of um, my, my, my origin story from this industry's perspective. Um, and really you know, I talk to a lot of people all the time, especially people that I'm recruiting or networking with or um, new starters. And I always sort of say, you know, this isn't, the, you know, people ask, why why did you stay in this industry? And, you know, the reason I've stayed in, in this industry is that it's it's just, a, I find it to be just a, such a wonderful dynamic industry um, with, on the one hand, is on sort of the cusp of innovation um, in, in many, many ways. And on the other hand is, you know, very slow um, because of some of the, you know, political and regulatory uh, elements around, you know, gaming and betting. Um and and it's a global industry as well, so it, it's it's just dynamic is the word that I always use for the you know general you know, gaming industry, um, and that's that's really the reason that I've stayed in, and I've really been with, mostly with the same company for most of my career. I 
yeah, as I said, I started off at WMS Gaming. <clears throat> WMS Gaming, a few years after I joined, was acquired, subsequently acquired by Scientific Games, a name that most listeners will be familiar with. And um, then up until recently, um, with the divestiture of OpenVet, which we'll talk about soon, um, you know, I, uh, I I was with Scientific Games stroke WMS Gaming for the better part of, call it 16 years, 15, 16 years. In, in, in that time, um, I've sort of had different roles. I've bounced between, you know, operational and executive leadership roles and, you know, sort of uh, back to my roots overseeing, you know, at the M&A and corporate um, development functions in, in various scenarios. But, you know, the consistent theme of my career in this industry has always been working on, you know, growth initiatives or on merging areas um, within the industry. So that's sort of my story um, uh, with OpenBet. OpenBet was a business that we acquired when I was sort of on the M&A side at Scientific Games. And then, you know, after after a period of time of acquiring it and integrating it, I was asked to take over the um, the chief exec role over what was called Scientific Games Digital at the time, which was a combination of OpenBet and a whole bunch of iGaming assets that we had also acquired or developed. Um, and then, you know, last year, or I guess it's now two years ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, when we took the decision to divest OpenBet, um, and ultimately it led to Endeavor acquiring us, you know, I took the option um, wholeheartedly to uh, to go with the OpenBet side of the business and uh, sort of uh, move my career forward. So I'm very happy to have taken that leadership role of such a globally recognized award-winning and tech pioneering company like OpenBet and, um, you know, really a great foundation uh, with Endeavor now owning us to uh, be able to work. So I know that was a little bit long-winded, Devin, but I wanted to uh, get as much of the story in there as possible. No, absolutely. No, that was great. Yeah, we really appreciate the the detail. And it's it's funny, I, I've, I've talked to so many people now where it, it just seems the gaming industry sinks its teeth into you and, and then you never get out. I mean, it's it's the only thing I've ever worked in. We've talked about, we've talked to regulators and, you know, operators who have come in from banking or finance and they all say, you know, They'll they'll never go back. Gaming just happens to be a little more fun than banking and finance is, is what we hear all the time. But I'm I'm curious, Jordan. You know, once once you got in, uh, you know, I always like to to know with with people who do reach this C-suite, this CEO level, was that something you were really targeting, or, or once you got in, you know, to to side games, was it just a, a natural growth and development and it got dropped on you or what was that growth like for you and kind of what were your your goals as you were you know going into it and and, and developing with the company and developing with what eventually became OpenBet? yeah it's a great question sean I, i'm i gotta be honest i'm not one of those people who's got like these you know big you know five-year plans or whatever I kind of i'm a little bit more of a generally speaking go with the flow type of person i always sort of uh personally reassess, you know, sort of where I'm at, um, in my career, um, you know, all aspects uh, of the career, not, not just, you know, what, what my title is. In fact, that's probably the least important thing, you know, what am I working on? What am I doing? Who am I working with? Who am I working for, you know, and, and is it intellectually appealing? That's, I, and I've done that. And, and that's why I've stayed with the company, um, you know, for, as I said, with scientific games really for 15, 16 years and, and now sort of continuing that journey now under the endeavor umbrella. Um, is because there's always been something interesting to do, right? And it didn't necessarily have to be chief exec. That was never on my, like, you know, when I was 22 years old coming out of, you know, university, that was never on my list of things. To, like, I want to be a CEO one day. Never even occurred to me. Um, it just sort of right place, right time, stars aligned, 
and uh, it it felt like the right opportunity with the um, you know with the scientific games digital situation like I described, which is like four years ago, and um, just sort of gone forward from there. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not one of those big like I have a you know plan that I need to get to X pinnacle by a certain you know time in my life or career. One thing you mentioned that I thought was really interesting, uh, kind of staying focused on the digital side um, after the M and A. Um, you know, what, what what drew you to that? Um, after kind of just getting your feet wet in it, um, and kind of really being a major focus on this, um, especially four years ago, because I feel like it was definitely a, a pinnacle moment. Well, actually, it goes back before that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I was relatively early in my career within the gaming industry, and now I'm talking about like ancient history, like 2009 at WMS, and I was sort of overseeing the corp dev function at that time. You know, we were a pure brick and mortar. 100 of our revenues were brick and mortar, and you know, our board sort of came to us and said, well, we don't want to become, we don't want to become blockbuster. You know, we don't want to be the next blockbuster where we miss the wave of digitization in any way, shape and form. So I sort of looked at that and seized on the opportunity and said, you know what, I don't really know much about the digital side of the gaming industry. And, and back then it was not just real money gaming, but also like social mobile apps, but I'm going to make myself the expert. And I'm going to, you know, drive strategy and figuring it out. And ultimately, you know, we we did a series of acquisitions back in the WMS days. So this is now like 11, 12 years ago to get into the digital space then. And so even as my career has evolved between overseeing operations and overseeing sort of strategy and M&A and biz dev, um, I've always had sort of, I've always been sort of like a resident expert when it comes to digital. So it just became, you know, digital and digital is on the cutting edge, right? It's not to say that brick and mortar, there's not things that are on the cutting edge. Those are absolutely are, but it's just always been something I've been passionate about. It's always been sort of, you know, big growth area and always an area where I felt that I could, um, you know, make a difference and and add value. Um, I'm curious because, uh, you know, growing, growing up in the industry and I was just, you know, kind of more staff or analyst level when I started seeing a lot of this happen on, on the Caesar side with the social games, I think it was like Zynga and Slotomania and and all that at the time. Was it always the intention for those social games to, to lead into the real money betting? Cause it it seemed like the, the social games and the social game companies almost, I mean, took on a life of their own and where it ended up becoming their own profitable entities. Yeah, what was the thought process there? It's, it's funny. Yeah, we we looked at it um, at the time. A lot of debate you can expect. Like we we did our own at WMS. We 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 actually did uh, an acquisition, and we debated like, hey, do we just supply games um, to like Slotomania and Playtica, or do we actually become a direct to consumer operator of social mobile games? And we said, well, let's. You know, there, there were a variety of reasons, not worth going into all the detail now, and I don't even remember all of it, but a variety of reasons we decided to do direct-to-consumer. And, but we always said, we're like, hey, we're going to do direct-to-consumer, but really this is just a means to an end to establish the business so that we can then be a, a good B2B provider like we are in brick and mortar. So that was the original thinking on the social side. You know, Fast forward a few years after that, and the social mobile initiative at WMS became SidePlay which was ultimately spun off in an IPO about three years ago, you know, to the tune of a billion and a half valuation. So thankfully we stayed the course on the direct to consumer side with that. There was also a view at the time that there would be convergence between what we're doing in the social mobile space and in the real money gaming 
slots of supply space. Um, and we also made a, um, a couple acquisitions in the real money gaming slot supply space, executed there and just supplying, you know, in regulated markets, supplying our, our digitized slots to operators, mostly at the time in Europe, because there was no North American market then. But the two tracks never converged because they didn't need to, and it didn't make sense for them to converge. And, you know, we, we had a lot of those debates. I know IGT tried to do a bunch of things, probably um, ended up being net negative value for them to try to do those things because it held them up from innovating. Um, but thankfully, there, there wasn't a convergence there because ultimately we and others in the industry, like Aristocrat is another great example, built huge corporate value um, within their social mobile businesses by keeping them somewhat independent. The expansive growth in such a short amount of time is is something that I really uh, find exciting. Um, just kind of being in the tech background myself, uh, just mobile applications and things and and seeing a lot of that technology go into a lot of legacy industry, such as gaming it really does enhance and enable a lot of users and this emergence of, you know, th things like OpenBet and, and and other companies that are kind of doing similar things, it kind of sees a, a, a fast track, especially because, because of the technology, um, which kind of brings me to some of the things we're talking about with, with OpenBet and kind of where it got started. It came to you through, uh, uh, through emergence and acquisitions. How does how did OpenBit get started in terms of just uh, kind of entering into the space, and then how did it get to where it is now? Because you guys have obviously grown tremendously and are continuing to grow globally, and so uh, it's it's clearly becoming a, an, an emerging leader. Yeah. So OpenBet actually founded in '96, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, um, as sort of like a website consulting business, which was oh. Rage, sort of Web Web 1.0 in the '90s. <laughs> Nice. Remember that, right? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then sort of tripped into a sports book website opportunity with uh, Ladbrooks um, around the World Cup, I think in the later 90s, like in 98 or so, mm -hmm. and built just sort of on spec, built a, um, built a sports book solution for them. It's quite rudimentary, I'm sure. But that sort of caught fire. And then very quickly, some other classic brands that are that honestly still use our technology, believe it or not, um, started uh, joining up. Patty Power, Skybet, Betfair, William Hill, you know, all very familiar brand names, all, all kind of came on board. We built out built out our, our sort of technology and product suite to include uh, digital wallets and retail supports, you know, for the high street um, and the betting shops. Front end, you know, front end solutions, you know, as mobile became a thing with smartphones <laughs> deeper into the 2000s, um, you know, built that out in a sale terminals, promote screens in the betting shops, et cetera. It's really a UK business for the first, you know, 15 years of its existence. And you fast forward to today, um, it's, you know, it's a completely different operation. We still have all of that that I just described at the core, but, you know, we were initially a sort of service provider. Building bespoke um, custom solutions for each and every one of those operators and more that I mentioned in the UK now becomes a, you know, we're a global product and solutions, you know, ecosystem that provides the technology platforms, all the sort of key components that you need for a betting solution. We also can come in and do the pricing and the management and the risk management for people. We have specialty, um, you know, call it exotic betting solutions that we can add on top integrations, able to support iGaming, um, and we exist globally. And we've got over 100 customers now touching every region that you can think of in the world. 
and uh, you know, we continue to be sort of a, a growth juggernaut. So, you know, it's it's been quite an interesting journey um, for OpenBet. And I think if you would have asked most people nine or ten years ago, you know, what does OpenBet mean to you, they would have said, "Oh, it's a UK business, you know, that supports sort of the legacy sports books, but you know, doesn't really, you know, isn't really on the cutting edge of anything, and uh, probably going to go the way of uh, dinosaur in a few years." But I, I think now, I think we've done a very good job of sort of. You know, not not only retaining the core foundations of the business, but you know, really evolving into the future, and you know, being on the cutting edge of the industry, and you know, um, continuing to grow um, uh, with our platforms. What's that pivot really, really been like? Because, because to your point, right? I, I think in the gaming industry, especially in the brick and mortar side, um, you know, I, I think with with a lot of systems, there's there's almost been. I don't want to say a, a lack of innovation because I think all kinds of tech suppliers have come in and helped, but you've had big players that have the the same kinds of solutions for for a very long time. And and to your point with iGaming with online sports betting, that's a that's a huge pivot. It's it's a different ecosystem. You know, uh, probably have to bring on different types of technologists. What did what did strategically making that pivot look like, and how did you guys attack it? Uh, let me first talk about why we've remained so relevant and so important in the industry. And and that's that's because of Touchwood scalability, robustness, and reliability. Right. At at the core, people who go with OpenBet go with OpenBet because it just flat out works. Right. During, you know, World Cup, which is going on right now, during Super Bowl, during, you know, Melbourne Cup and Cheltenham and all the big horse racing festivals. Like the system just works and delivers high volume and deals with complexity. Sports betting systems are not simple systems. So that's 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 given us the privilege to allow us to, you know, I don't want to call it a pivot, but it's allowed us to uh, evolve and remain not only relevant, but sort of now on the front foot and the cutting edge of the industry. And I, I'd say, you know, really things started pivoting around the time that Psy Games acquired um, you know, open bet and the business that it was part of called NYX gaming. That was really it because you think about that time, and this is now call it late 17, early 18. You, you had open bet was a business that was providing bespoke technology solutions to customers in UK, continental Europe, a little bit in Asia Pacific and a little bit in Canada. Um, but all of a sudden PASPA um, was repealed um, in the early part of 18. And that required an acceleration of what we call um, productization and modularization. And what I mean by that is that, you know, up until that point, you you took the OpenBet solution. Uh, we would come and build a bespoke system for you, but it wasn't very modular. It wasn't a very, it wasn't a system that worked very well with other components, didn't work very well with in-house components. It was relatively slow. It was like a big, you know, it was like a big, huge warship. It was hard to turn it around. So really what we had to do to be able to keep up with the pace of the US and also to evolve and remain relevant in the industry was break down the technical components to their uh, to their parts that's the modularization piece and then also build it you know evolve you know while not breaking the bespoke systems we had with customers you know build a central product um, system so that when we went out instead of doing one new customer a year which was the open bet ethos from 1998 until 2016 or 17, we now had to have a system that could support, you know, dozens of new customers per year. If we wanted to keep up and remain relevant in the industry, given some of the things happening, we also needed to be able to break our system into components to be able to deliver 
you know, uh, a system to someone who might have certain in-house tech, might have other third-party tech and be able to plug and play different things. So that that's really a lot of hard yards to do that. Um, I, I won't lie. The year that we acquired OpenBet and the year after, so 2018, 2019, were very noisy. Um, we spent a lot of money, huge capital investments to basically turn this warship war that I described into a, a speedboat. And, you know, that's hopefully that all makes sense, but that's effectively what, what happens. No, that, that makes total sense. And it's, I mean, it's, it's an impressive transition. I, I can't imagine what that juggernaut of a, a task was like. Um, w- one more thing kind of on this topic before we really, you know, jump, jump into compliance, you know, with, with the acquisition in has, has the strategy or, or the approach really changed or is is that kind of the the same for now full speed ahead on on what you guys are already actively doing yeah uh, the endeavor acquisition you're referring to no it's it's full speed ahead on what we're actively doing um with with an extra boost and that extra boost is you know the endeavor platform which is a a, a massive juggernaut in and of itself you know in sports media and entertainment so you know the endeavor platform provides us with more you know access points um, more interesting conversations that we're able to get into, especially on the, you know, sort of media side um, and really just augments what we already had going on. So it, it's it's what we're already doing with uh, an extra sort of uh, call option or boost. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, let's let's jump into the the compliance side of things now. And this is something I'm I'm particularly excited about because we've we've had so many conversations. I, I've been in compliance for my whole career and never really had too many conversations with with you know a supplier and getting their perspective and and especially at the at the c-suite level so i i'm curious how do you view compliance you know from a gaming supplier standpoint uh, um so for, first of all you know open bet not only are we known as scalable and reliable but we're also known um i think as being sort of creme de la creme when it, from a supplier perspective when it comes to being reliable from a compliance perspective. Um, we always prefer, you know, regulated markets. We only operate in regulated markets. We think that's good for the industry and ethically we think it's good also. Um, and um, it's, it, it's at the, it's at the heart of our DNA. So, you know, when we talk about, um, and you look at our customer portfolio, like some of the brands in the UK, I talked about some of the big sort of like, you know, world lottery association brands like BCLC and Lotto Quebec and, Danska spill over in Europe. I mean, th- these are these are businesses that were, you know, regulatory um, and compliance is at the heart of their DNA. They're government institutions. And so from a supplier perspective, we we better be able to, you know, match up with them on that. So this is absolutely um, part of our DNA and a big part of our ethos. And and where on on the compliance spectrum? Because I mean, we say compliance, and it you know really includes this this huge spectrum of things from, you know, responsible gaming to AML to corporate compliance, licensing, product compliance, regulatory affairs. Um, you know, where where is your real focus area that you see yourself get involved in more, or is it kind of a you know a mixture of everything? Mixture of everything. Um... Oh, and and it's not just it's not just us doing it all. It's also partnering, investing, you know, acquiring things that make sense. I mean, obviously, we have a relationship with with you all at Connectify, and that it fits you know squarely into this constellation. 
it's it's the regulatory affairs. It's being able to go in and consult with governments who might be thinking about regulating sports betting and being on the front end of that. Obviously, that benefits us commercially. I'm not going to lie, right? We want to be in there because ultimately, then we can be the uh, the key technology and product partner. But yeah, that's that's the regulatory affairs piece. And uh, yeah, on, on the sort of player protection and you know AML piece and RG piece, that's definitely part and parcel. We have a you know we have a digital wallet and player account management um, aspect of our technology platform. It's critical that we're able to not only through that platform but also through third party integrations uh, provide the support that our operators expect. Um, and listen, the world is only getting more complicated when it comes to you know things around cybersecurity and you know, some of the shady activities that happen out there. So, you know, this is, and, and gaming and gambling is often, you know, a target. So I think this just becomes more and more important um, as we evolve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm curious, cause you know, you, you mentioned that you guys only operate in obviously regulated environments. Um, you know, I think the AGA came out with that report very recently about, um, you know, just how much of you know gaming and sports betting is still taking place in the gray market uh, i'm curious what your thoughts are on on how to continue to push you know transitioning whether it's the the north american market the united states or canada away from that gray market so that we can have those those player protection and, and responsible gaming um, pieces in place and and obviously you know get get regulators and, and states getting that revenue to help their infrastructure. So it's not just constantly going offshore. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's a, you have, you have to, governments have to be willing to, to do it. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to, you know, some type of enforcement mechanism on the books and then governments have to be willing to actually use that enforcement mechanism, whether it's a law or a decree or whatever. So I, I think it comes down to that. It's really about, you know, lobbying um, and sometimes it's lobbying the governments directly and sometimes it's lobbying our customers um, which in the case of a WLA is kind of like the government, um, who then lobby their sort of um, governments and constituent parties accordingly. So, you know, I think that's what it comes down to. It's it's showing it's showing leakage. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, regulated and tax, it makes complete sense, right? It makes sense for everybody involved. It, it's, uh, it's good for players um, to be playing in regulated sites because they get the right level of, you know, sort of, you know, protections and above boardness that, that they deserve. And it's it's good for um, and it's good for the governments themselves because you know there's no tax leakage you know gray market and offshore betting um, there's no way for the government whether it's a state or a province or a country to access that tax revenue so you know it makes complete sense and we we lean on our relationships and our experience to um, work with our partners and when when it makes sense governments directly and convincing them of that it's not easy. I won't lie. Right. You're dealing with politics. You're dealing with a lot of competing priorities and agendas and getting this onto the top of the agenda is, uh, is can be challenging. Yeah, it's been I mean, it's it's been interesting just seeing state by state as we see these, you know, battles play out. And to your point, the 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 politics from from state to state can be um, just uh, unbelievably uh, complex and, and confusing around it. So it it's it slowed the progress but you know hopefully as more of these reports start to come out and and more governments start to see you know the benefits that the new york's and new jersey's and um you know all these states legalizing are, are all the benefits they're getting from it Ho hopefully those pushes eventually happen i, I do want to you know kind of shift over to your company's open bets compliance function really and, and kind of 
how it's how it's structured. Is there like a, an executive compliance committee with within OpenVet? Are there multiple committees? How does how does that piece work? Yeah, yeah there, there there are formal committees um, as required um, that go up to the Endeavor level actually, and there's you know regular reviews of what we're doing at at sort of the business unit level, uh, which I run. You know, I'm. I'm always in touch with our um, compliance team. Our compliance team, by the way, is uh, led by uh, a woman named Jessica File. She's absolutely outstanding. We hired her recently, actually earlier this year, from the American Gaming Association. So she's sort of in charge of all things from you know operational compliance to product compliance and through to regulatory affairs. So you know that's 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 an example of us investing in in the function and how serious we are um, about it. For me, it's it's you know it's regular catch-ups. Um, we have you know formal meetings, of course, on a regular basis. Um, informally, we're always in touch. Um, you know, we focus on you know licensing requirements. We focus on any you know issues that we're seeing around our products, which again, touch wood, are really none. Um, and we talk about you know what's sort of on the horizon from a new markets perspective um, and what we can be doing to to um, you know position ourselves. So it, it's all that stuff and and more. Uh, since you talked about um, new markets right right there at the end, I, I am I am very curious because you guys obviously, you know, operate in, in many global markets. Um, you know, what do you look at when it comes to the regulated markets? You know, we're seeing so many more countries look at at getting into that regulated space. You know, I think in Latin America in particular, there's been several pushes. I believe Brazil recently. Um, I think legislation passed. They're still looking for for the bill to be signed for them to start entering that regulated space. But what what kind of goes through through your mind, and and how does your team start tackling these you know tremendously large tasks? Yeah, first I'll I'll talk about Brazil and Latin. I mean that's this is a key growth area for you know OpenBet in twenty three and beyond. Um, we think Brazil uh, has the potential to be one of the biggest sports betting markets worldwide. Um, assuming the regulation gets uh, rubber stamped soon, um, great opportunities across all of LATAM though too. Like that's the to me that's a big sleeping giant um, in the industry right now. In terms of the bigger the question that you asked of you know what goes through my mind, sort of when we're looking at all this, it, it's really you know the the world class proposition that we have, um, the reliability of our platforms, the technology really puts us on the front foot and gives us the privilege to be able to you know, have these, um, these conversations, um, when we're looking worldwide and, you know, right, re- right. The regulatory world, world will continue to evolve. There'll be certain markets that contract. Like there's some examples, I think that are well known in, in Europe and Western Europe in particular, where, you know, things have tightened up. Um, there's others where, you know, new markets open up and listen, the advice I give and I've, you know, whenever I talk to someone, especially in the U S I, I talk about this, is you know your best bet is to get out in front of the regulatory picture as as a business community operators and suppliers now otherwise all you have to do is look across the pond to like the uk for example where you know there's been lots of lots of noise lots of political lobbying and 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 the industry has not done a good enough job to get out in front of things and the result is then that the politicians come in and and sort of take charge which is not a good solution right the politicians don't you know, they're going to do things for the political agenda versus doing things that are, you know, necessarily putting smart regulations in place. So the result of that is that the, you know, a UK market, for example, is very tough right now. Um, the overall industry revenues in the UK are flat to down year over year for the last couple of years. 
And that's really a direct result of some of the tightening of regulations that don't necessarily add a ton of value, in my opinion. So I think if the if the industry gets out in front of it, you know, advertise everything from it's not it's it's obviously clearly it's things like AML, which when AML goes wrong, it hits the headlines. I'll tell you. When it goes right, you don't hear about it. It's one of those things. It's like offensive line <laughs> football. Um, you know, yep. advertising responsibly, player player checks, um, player tools, proactive, you know, monitoring, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's incumbent on the industry to, you know, have you know, front foot solutions so that the politicians will come in and take it over, which is what when that happens, nothing good happens. Nothing good comes from it. So self-regulate effectively before you get regulated i don't want to say out of business but out of a portion of your business effectively i'll give you another example netherlands we actually we actually have a very uh, big customer in netherlands uh which is the government lottery netherlands lottery who's a very responsible operator and actually the market leader but you know netherlands regulated um a couple years ago and then sort of opened the market up uh maybe 18 months ago um but the regulations in terms of like anything to do with like player protections, responsible gaming, you know, advertising, everything like there was, there were no restrictions. So what happens, right? It's, it's a gold rush, you know, operators come in and just are extremely aggressive. Um, and then now what's happening now, what's happening is there are limitations and, and sort of, um, curtails being put in right by politicians who heard a lot of noise from their constituent parties, you know, in the country. And now they're just, you know, force feeding the industry solutions, which will result in a contraction of that market. So that, that's another great case study. What happens when, when you don't as an industry come together and, and it's hard to do, right? It, you, you think about the industry doing it together, especially on the operator side, the operators are in business to land grab and, and um, get the better of each other. And, you know, less regulation is arguably to their advantage in the short term, right? Cause they can then go, you know, sort of hell for leather and go after players, uh, user acquiring players and you know marketing aggressively but if you take a medium to long term view uh it's not good and and those are two great case studies of why it's not good so so given given that i mean and i'll kind of break this up into into new markets and existing markets is is there anything from that from that regulatory framework from that compliance framework that would cause you to you know analyze a new market and and say you're you know make the the strategic decision that you guys aren't going to enter that market or conversely with these existing markets that you already operate in have there been situations or are there foreseeable situations where you would make the decision to leave these regulated markets yeah i mean look and we're we're, we're in, we're in the business to, you know, run a PL and turn a profit. So at a certain point, if, a, if the product development requirements and, and ongoing operating requirements are so arduous that something becomes you know nonsensical from an ROI perspective, we're not going to participate. I mean, it, I think it's that simple. And then there's also kind of tangential to that, you know, if, if something's, if a market's being structured in such a way where in our point, from our point of view, it creates risk whether that's, you know, product risk, um, overhead risk, or reputational risk, um, we'll sit out. Uh, I've, I've, there's plenty of opportunities in the world where I don't have to be in every market. Um, and if something, and there, and there have been situations like that. And if there's a situation like that, we just have the discipline to uh, sit out. Really, really interesting to hear. And I love hearing uh, you and Sean talk about the regulatory side of all of this. Uh, I myself have been involved in reg tech, but on the supply chain side, 
Um, and so kind of hearing the emergence of, of regulatory compliance uh, and technology come up as definitely being like a, a, a beating heart with, within the industry more so uh, is really exciting. Um, almost as a, um, actually really the, the regulatory say background uh, is almost a competitive advantage, if you will, right? Um, having, having that reg regulatory stance that, uh, that, uh, how do you say, um, that threshold of, yes, you know, we're doing everything that we need to without providing or without stepping into any, any unnecessary risk is certainly uh, a competitive advantage for, for, for many. And would that be kind of an, an emerging trend that you see with a lot of other companies so that they see this as, uh, regulations or sorry um kind of abiding by regulations and, and really spearheading this as as being um uh, a driver if you will or a trend to start this driver for for young startups or companies trying to get into this absolutely i think this is part and parcel and i said it earlier when i talked about the dynamism of this industry that there's certain things that this industry does and continues to do that are at the cutting edge and then there's other things that are you know significantly held back because of the regulatory picture. Uh, my, my, my view is the answer to your question is absolutely yes. Like the, the regulatory and compliance is here to stay in this industry. It's, it's why this industry exists quite honestly, right? Like this is a, let's be honest, we're working in an industry that is, that is in place and, you know, supported by governments because it generates tax revenue, plain and simple. Right. That's why. Right. So that, that, that I think because of that, just, foundational truth worldwide it's it's incumbent on anybody looking to be in this industry to take this part of the value chain very seriously and by the way i also think there's innovation around regulatory compliance you know, just because i wrote a comment that sometimes reg and compliance holds back the the progress of things there's also innovation and i think connectify is a great example of some of the innovation that is being done to sort of you know automate and um, productize the, you know, AML process as a great example. There's, you know, tons of examples out there of, you know, where companies like Connectify and others can innovate to add value added solutions that, you know, leverage, you know, machine learning, AI, and, you know, predictive, other predictive tools, uh, for example, to, you know, improve on that process instead of it being the historically, you know, very manual labor intensive process that it is. So um, don't know if I answered your question there, Devin, but that's sort of my take on it. Now you can definitely tell um, just the importance there and, and just to kind of hear, just to, just to hear from you, um, definitely solidifies that. Uh, so thank you. With that, um, with risk management and reg tech, since being that we're talking about reg tech here, what does a good partner look like? I happen to be biased and I happen to be a personal fan of Connectify. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> thank you. But, um, but yeah, no, listen, I think it's, I think it's, um, Focus is important. Like a lot of companies out there that have this as part of a big part of the portfolio, but focus is important. You know, you don't want someone who's too distracted by a bunch of other things and you know, and AML is just like one brick in the wall. I think focus is important. Like I talked about before, a lot of these sort of automation and you know, artificial intelligence, for example, um, would be important things that I'd look at. And then really trust. Like this, all that put all and, and I can I sort of analogize it to open bet in a way like I can sit there and show off our technology and all the robust we have and all the cool server infrastructure and redundancies and everything to make a CTO get or CIO get really excited. But at the end of the day, it comes down to reputation and trust. Are the people that you're working with going to have your back for something like this? Are the people that you're working with 
um, experienced and know what they're doing in this type of area. Uh, so those would be some of my sort of um, key uh, key criteria that I'd be looking at. One thing, Jordan, you you touched on, you know, a, a little bit earlier, right, is is when you do see, you know, AML and responsible gaming enforcement actions come, you know, it's it, it hits the headlines. What goes through your mind when you see, you know, obviously the UK, um, you know, they you see enforcement on RG and AML, you know, often, but now you're getting jurisdictions like Australia where you're having these you know, huge, huge enforcement actions where and where it's not just these monetary penalties, but it's also, you know, risk of of loss of license. And, you know, you're starting to see it in other, you know, EU jurisdictions as well. Um, how does that change your focus or just what, what really goes through your mind as you see these coming out and they seem to be coming out in, in a flurry lately? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's, it's an existential thing, right? I mean, if you're, if I'm an operator, and I'm having AML issues, like that. That's like that's like owning a house and the foundation is starting to crumble. I, I don't know that it's any more complicated than that. Like you better get something in place, tools, tech, talent, that um, prevent that. That that that's it. It's that simple. Fair enough. So one last thing, Jordan, before we wrap up here, we we always ask our leadership uh, from the industry any lessons that you'd like to share with those already in or thinking about going in and stepping into this, into, into this industry? Yeah, absolutely. I would say sticking with the compliance theme, take compliance seriously. Like, like I said, it, it's, it's here, it's here to stay. It's only going to become um, more important. I've seen it with my own eyes for the last 16 or 17 years. I've seen companies and people sort of roll their eyes and consider it a necessary evil, but um, it's, it's necessary in this industry. It's the reason this industry exists. You know, we all know some of the dark horror stories of gambling and shadiness around gambling. So, you know, governments, politicians, et cetera, require compliance being in place because it's part of, you know, what, what is needed to protect this industry and keep it at, you know, to be sort of the exciting growth industry, especially on the digital side uh, that it has and continues to be. So that would be my biggest piece of advice would be to um, embrace compliance, consider compliance people, whether it's on the sort of business side or on the government side as partners. Um, and if you do that, it can really pave um, a great path to success. Uh, my other advice, which would not be necessarily industry specific, it would just be more sort of uh, lessons generally um, in, in, in sort of uh, business management and career growth would be, you know, to for people to be courageous and bold. Go out and uh, you know, go out and grab grab what you want in the right way, and um, take chances. Uh, I'm a big believer that uh, luck doesn't just happen by accident. Uh, luck happens because you know you're working hard and you're um, prepared for things and you seize opportunities. So those would be my sort of uh, closing statements, guys. And thank you so much, Jordan, for sharing all of that. It was definitely insightful. Everything that we have here. I mean, of course, I've been taking notes throughout the entire time, and. Uh, a lot of really, really great nuggets here. And just wanted to say thank you so much for, for taking the time to really ex extend and expand our own insights into this because it's it's certainly growing and, and uh, we're really excited to to see you and the, and the OpenBet team uh, grow even more and um, see them really succeed. So thank you again. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us today and remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. 
Visit connectify.com. That's K-I-N-E-C-T-I-F-Y.com to learn more about today's topics. You can support our show even more by leaving us a rating wherever you download your podcast or by sharing Connectify conversations with gaming industry leaders like yourself. Until our next conversation, always remember to minimize risk and maximize your efficiency.